Good morning. I'm Marla Johnson. I'm Pastor Bill's wife, and I'm reading from Haggai 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down til timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jazadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jazadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Marla, for reading the scripture this morning. And greetings, Cornerstone Church. I'm currently reading another one of Danielle Strickland's books called A Beautiful Mess. And in it, Danielle writes, for many people, chaos is a negative word. It is something that has to be righted. It is to be sorted out or perhaps hidden to create the illusion of order even if it's only a temporary measure. Common understanding, she says, tells us that chaos is only ever a destructive force, quickly needing to be nailed down so that order can be brought to situations, both personally and in our work scenarios. But what if, she says, what if she asks, what if there is a different way to understand chaos? What if chaos is a good thing? What if it is the root of creativity? What if chaos is the beginning of growth? What if chaos is the seedbed of societal change and transformation? What if 
chaos can loose the chains of injustice? What if it can set the captives free and actually begin the process of repair in people's lives? What if chaos did its thing and people saw that it could be good? What if the pursuit of order has created a love of the status quo and has removed the passion for justice? What if we have made a friend of comfort instead of change and as a result removed ourselves from the responsibility that demands that we fight for change to happen? Daniel Strickland argues that if we want our lives to be significant, if we want our lives to be about stuff that really matters, then maybe, just maybe, we should invite more chaos and disorder into our lives. Because God has a pattern of creating a beautiful mess out of chaos and disorder. Danielle Strickland wrote the book in 2014. In 2020, we didn't have to do anything to invite chaos and disorder into our lives. Chaos came hunting for us. But her perspective is intriguing. She makes the case that too much of a desire for order is the death of transformation, individually and in our churches and in our society. What kind of beautiful mess might God want to create in our lives through the chaos of 2020? The passage that Marla just read to you from um, Haggai chapter 1 are the cliff notes of a sermon that the prophet Haggai preached on August 29th, 520 BC. The time markers are so precise for the book of, of Haggai that we know the exact days of each of the four messages that Haggai preached, which means that um, in seven weeks, on August 29th this year, seven weeks, August 29, 2020, will be the 2,500th anniversary of when Haggai preached his sermon in Haggai chapter 1. And we might be surprised to discover how much God can speak to us in 2020 AD through a 2,500-year-old sermon preached in 520 BC. So very quickly, let me orient you to get you from Jonah, who was one of the earlier prophets, to Haggai, who was one of the later prophets. The time markers are not as, as precise for Jonah. So somewhere around 760 BC, Jonah went to Nineveh and all the things that we talked about over the last five weeks happened. It was only 30 to 40 years after Jonah preached in Nineveh that the Assyrians, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, that the Assyrians just, just completely overran the northern tribes of the kingdom of Israel and they just went out of existence. Okay, so that was in Jonah's 760, and then in 722, the Assyrians destroyed the northern tribes. Well, the next date to know is 586. So some 250 years later, in 586, the Babylonians were now the reigning world power in the Middle East. The Assyrians were long gone. And the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, 
the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, looted and destroyed the temple, and took hostages with them back to Babylon. So if you know your, your Old Testament history, think Jeremiah, think Daniel, and think Ezekiel. So, 48 years after the temple, the city and the temple of Jerusalem were restored, 48 years later, the first of multiple waves of Jews returned from exile to go back to Jerusalem. And we'll read, I'll tell you just in just a little bit about um, the first wave that went back. And that was 586. And that first wave went back with a specific mandate from Cyrus, who was then the ruler, the reigning ruler in the Middle East. And Cyrus sent the first wave back with a specific mandate to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. That was in 538 BC. Now, 520, 18 years after that first wave had gone to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, 520, Haggai preaches his sermon. And let me walk into Haggai chapter 1 and his sermon with you so I can show you the rest of the story. Haggai 1, verses 1 and 2, says, The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. And you've got to know right here that what the Lord Almighty says in the first four verses of Haggai chapter 1 is utterly dripping with sarcasm. So, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. You need to know that that dripping sarcasm was well-deserved. Even the way that God starts to say it. He doesn't say, my people say that it's not yet time. God says, these people say it's not yet time to build the house of the Lord. It reminds me of when our kids were little and I came, came home late after a day of work and I walk through the door and Marla looks at me and says, your son has been asking for a fight all day long. She didn't say our son was that. Your son is asking for a fight. In the same way, God doesn't say my people say. He says, these people say the time has not yet come to build the house of the Lord. All right, let me give you the background so you understand the dripping sarcasm. Back in 538, when Cyrus sent the first wave back to build the temple, he gave them permission to build and said that anybody under his rulership was supposed to help them build their temple to the God who was in Jerusalem. So the first wave of exiles goes back. We read about them in Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And then in Ezra chapter 2, we read this about that first wave. Again, 18 years before Haggai says the word of the Lord dripping with sarcasm. Ezra chapter 2, verses 68 and 69, we read, When they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave freewill offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work 61,000 drachmas of gold. That's about 1,100 pounds of gold. And 5,000 minas of silver. It's about three tons of silver. And 100 priestly 
garments. Say, what? Our long-range planning team at Cornerstone Church would love to have a building resources fund like that. But there's more. Remember, still 18 years before Haggai preaches the word of the Lord, dripping with sarcasm, we read in Ezra 3.7, they gave, 18 years ago, 538, they gave money to the masons and carpenters and gave food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, the king of Persian. So I want you to get the picture. 18 years before Haggai preaches his sermon, they had the building mandate from the reigning ruler of the Middle East, from Cyrus. They had massive amounts of gold and silver that were received. The cedar logs were purchased and shipped from Lebanon to Jerusalem. And a lot of stonemasons and carpenters were paid to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. So let me ask you this 18 years later. Where's the temple? Where's the house of God? It's not there. What happened to all the gold and the silver? What happened to the stone that the masons cut for the temple that didn't get built? <coughs> Excuse me. And what happened to all that cedar lumber that had been purchased and was in Jerusalem? And here's where I need to let you in on the little secret that cedar lumber makes really, really good paneling. Which is why the word of the Lord to Haggai is dripping with sarcasm. Listen to the next verse. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's like God says, really? Really? And God asks, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while my house remains a ruin? Cedar lumber really does make high quality paneling. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that there has been a massive misappropriation of resources that were intended for the house of God that got used as people built their own houses, as people got busy about their own busy, about their own business, about their own education, about their own work, about their, their own projects, and all the time for 18 years neglecting the house of God. They actually stole materials from the temple to build their houses. What happens then and now when God's people divert for themselves resources intended for the things of God? It's actually called the divine law of diminishing returns. And we read about it in verses 5 through 7. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Sarcasm's gone. Now there's a stern voice. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You, ink, you eat, 
I'm sorry, you eat but never have enough, you drink but never have your fill, you put on clothes but are not warm, you earn wages only to put them into a purse with holes in it. In it. Welcome to Jerusalem in 520 BC. The law of diminishing returns, it's a divine law that's woven into the fabric of the universe. The divine law of diminishing returns says that whenever we steal what is supposed to be given to God, whenever we, we attend only to our lives and neglect the things of God, then we work harder and harder and harder, and we have a return that is less and less and less misappropriating what belongs to God always results in us coming under the divine law of diminishing returns. Which is why when you have a super busy day, the worst thing that we can do is cut short our devotions or cut out or cut short our devotions and our prayer. Because when we steal from God the devotions due to him, we don't gain more time for the rest of the day. We come under, under the, the, the harshness, really, of the divine law of diminishing returns. They put on clothes, but they were still cold. They ate, but they weren't satisfied. They studied hard, but they didn't get good jobs. They earned money that never went far enough. They were busy, busier than ever before and had little to show for it. God says the divine law of diminishing returns again in verses 9 through 11. God says, You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Do you see? Do you see the consequences of misappropriation, of things that we owe to God being diverted to our own ends and to our own uses? See what happens when we are so busy about our own house that we neglect the things of God? So, is it just me? Or does it sound like 520 BC in 2020 AD? If we want to get out from under the divine law of diminishing returns, what do we do? And Haggai says, there are two things the Lord says. First, and so we don't miss it, God actually says it twice in verse 7 and in verse 5. God says, give careful thought to your ways. First thing to do if we want to get out from under the divine law of diminishing returns is pay attention to our ways. When we work, harder and harder, and we harvest less and less. It's time to stop and consider our ways. 
when we put in tons of effort and we get little results. The spiritual solution isn't to put in tons more of effort. The spiritual solution is to step back and consider, pay attention to our ways. If we don't stop and ask ourselves how it is that we are under the law of diminishing returns, we can stay under that law for months and years and decades of our, li of our lives. The, the Jews in Jerusalem in 520, they had been almost two decades under the divine law of diminishing returns. So think carefully. Are you in any way misappropriating and diverting energy and resources from the things of God to attend to your own personal version of whatever is your paneled life? Second, God says to the people of Jerusalem, go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. In other words, first, pay attention to your ways. Secondly, pay attention to the things of God so God can be pleased with us and honored by us. It just seems to me that if ever in our lives it's time to step up and revision and rebuild the house of God, it's 2020. Never have I led, I've shared this with a number of groups, never have I led in over 40 years in the church in a time of this much chaos and this much disorder. 2020 is enough to scare you to death. Or it could scare us to life. In the chaos and disorder of COVID-19 and systemic injustice, it's time for us, as followers of Jesus, to reassess our relationship with the things of God. What can we do in the second half of 2020 to attend to the things of God so that God can take pleasure in us? He can be pleased by us and honored by us. It's going to be different than what they did in 520 BC. We're not going to go up to Mount Monadnock and cut down a bunch of trees and bring them back to Boston. If we did, we'd have to quarantine for 14 days anyway. But how do we, in 2020, reassess our, our relationship to the things of God so that God can be pleased by us and honored by us? Here are just a few ideas. In 2020... Can we reassess our relationship to worship? Can we rebuild our personal and corporate worship so that God can be pleased with us and honored by us? Worship's weird, folks. This streaming video worship is strange. Stranger than it's ever been, than I've ever known it to be. The Barna Research Group actually identifies practicing Christians as people who identify as Christians, agree strongly with the statement that their faith is very important to their lives, and attend church at least once a month. And Barna has just recently come out with new numbers that say that 32% of practicing Christians, 
32%. And these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are people that we have served with, these people that we've been in, in CGs with. 33%, almost a third of practicing Christians in the United States have stopped attending any worship in any church at any time since the pandemic. And among millennials, it's even worse because that's 32% of the general population. Barna Research Group has found that 50% of practicing Christian millennials have left the church in the last four months. How can we reassess our relationship with worship so that we don't end up in those statistics? And maybe as a baseline, can we recommit to treat Sunday worship in our living rooms as to be as significant as we thought of it when we were meeting at Ben Franklin Institute? I know it's confusing because we're sitting and we're watching, so it feels like we're the audience, but we're not the, the audience of worship. God is the audience of our worship, whether we're in an auditorium or whether we're in our living room. God is the audience of our worship. So can we work on the quality of our worship in spirit and in truth? Maybe on Sundays we could take 15 minutes before the service at some point to just prepare our hearts to come before God with our prayers and with our praise. And what else might you be able to do the second half of 2020 to renew and rebuild worship in your life, personally and individually, and then when we gather together as a church family? Second idea, in 2020, the second half, can we reassess our, our relationship to community? Can we commit to rebuild the household of faith, our spiritual friends and friendships and Cornerstone Church? Can we recommit to the household of faith so God can be pleased with us and honored by us? On Sunday morning, maybe before half an hour or 45 minutes before the service, you could actually text 10, 15, 20 people, the same number of people you might expect to greet if you were in an auditorium for worship, you could text them and you could say, Happy Sunday, and just give them a word of encouragement. We could recommit to rebuild our community by going back and looking at our spiritual gifts and our holy callings and finding ways that we can still express our spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ and taking responsibility to do that. People have been saying we're no longer meeting together in the church, so there's no way to use our spiritual gifts, and that's just simply not true. We can recommit to rebuild the household of faith by looking at our spiritual gifts and committing to use them again. Maybe another way that you can rebuild build the household of faith is, we talked about this before, but gather five or seven people on a live Zoom and participate and watch our streaming worship together. And then afterwards, stay on and just talk for maybe five minutes and find out what people's takeaways were. And that can do incredible things to rebuild the community of faith, the household of Jesus. And then something just really, really just practical that you can do to rebuild and re-envision community at Cornerstone is read our annual um, re ministry reports. 
They were emailed to all of you on July 5th. Go back, find them, read them. Find out the things that, that were victories in 2019 and the first part of 2020, and find out what some of the challenges are and some of the commitments of our church. And then you know what? In two weeks on July 19th, um, we have our annual town hall meeting. Like almost only once a year do we get together and say, hey, we are a family together. Let's talk about our life together. So join us on July 19th. Another area, can we reassess our relationship with discipleship? Can we rebuild our spiritual practices so God can be pleased with us and honored by us? So how do we become resilient disciples who stop depending on somebody else to disciple us and start learning to train ourselves to be godly? How can you invest in life-giving spiritual practices in new ways so that God can be pleased with you and honored by you? And then lastly, just here, these are just examples. Can we reassess our relationship with justice and the mission of God in the second half of 2020? How can we rebuild our commitment to pursue compassionate justice so that God is pleased with us and honored by us? What can you do or what will you do to become more aware of the injustice that is in the world? And how are we supposed to pursue justice as the followers of Jesus? Because I'm pretty sure it looks differently than how the world will pursue justice. And this, how do we move beyond emotions that fade to strategies and lifelong spiritual practices that transform, that transform us, that transform our church, and that can transform our culture? So what will you do differently about justice in your life the second half of 2020? So, like in 520 BC, in 2020 AD, we can step out from under the law of diminishing returns, and we can step into the divine law of increasing returns. We read about that in Haggai 1, 12 to 15. All the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord, the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. First, they obeyed. Secondly, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this time of chaos and disordered, disorder can be a God moment. It is definitely not the time to misappropriate our energy and our finances away from the things of God to focus on our own paneled lives. It's definitely not the time to think that it's somebody else's job to figure out how to do church in 2020. The disorder of 2020 can be a God moment for us. Now is the time to reassess our commitment 
to the things of God. Now is the time for us to step up and do our part to put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now is the time for us to revision and rebuild our lives and friendship and church so that God can be pleased with us and honored by us. When we do that, when we obey, when we fear the Lord anew, God is with us. And if God is with us, nothing can prevail against us. So let's now bring all of this before God as we celebrate communion. Would you bow your heads now? And we're going to have a few moments of quiet reflection. Are you perhaps misappropriating resources that are supposed to be dedicated to the things of God to your own life? If so, name them. And you might want to ask forgiveness. Maybe you are really trying to put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If so, you might want to just be still in these moments and hear the Lord's affirmation. Wherever you are spiritually today, from, from seeker, from far from God to seeker to a passionately devoted follower of Jesus, wherever you are spiritually, just in these moments, bring that before Jesus at the table of communion. And in just about two minutes, I will share the bread and the cup of communion with you. So now, in these moments, give careful thought to your ways. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it 
and he said, This is my body given for you. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, This is the new covenant in my blood. All of you drink of it. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Do this in remembrance of Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you that you loved us enough to leave the halls of heaven, to come to earth, to redeem us, to be our sacrifice, and to restore us, to lift us up out of the divine law of diminishing returns, to lift us up into the grace of God's law of increasing returns as we obey and as we fear the Lord. Thank you for your promise that you will be with us always, even to the end of the age. We pray this in your name. Amen. Daniel, would you come now and lead us in closing worship? Amen.